still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. Because God meets with us. Because of what Jesus has done for us, God wants to meet with us. He wants to guide us throughout our lives. So if we sing um, Christadelphian Hymn Book 118 and then praise the Lord number 12. Thank you. Let us pray. Lord God, you are the great creator. You sustain us in all our lives. And we come and worship you. Father God, you are our Father who looks after us. Who loves us. Who sent the Lord Jesus to die that we can have a relationship with you. And we want to praise you. And we want to thank you for the love that you've shown us, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you brought us together to remember once more of that relationship that you want with us. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he died for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your love to us, that you have guided us, you have left us examples that we live by. And so, Lord, be with all we do this morning. Be with those in creche looking after the children. Be with those preparing lunch. Be with all those who are on holiday, Lord. Help them to remember that we think of them and we pray for them. Guide them and guard them, Lord. And Lord, we think of those overseas. All those who are unsure about where life is going. We would ask that you would guide them. And so, Lord, be with us today. Be with Charles. Let his words be your words. Let him guide us. Let him direct us. And so, Lord, we ask this prayer through the Lord Jesus, praying for the return of him soon. Amen. In a minute, um, Alex is going to come forward and just give us an update on the situation with um, John Bernani and also give us some welfare news and the welfare prayer. But before, we, before I ask Alex to come up, I've asked Jack to read Psalm 23 to us. And for me, it was really that God is guiding us. God is directing our lives. And that's what I wanted to remember through the words of the psalmist. Thank you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning, everybody. Anybody remember this chap here? Well, John had his hearing or appeal on Monday. Obviously, he wasn't here to partake in it, but he was represented by a barrister that had been briefed by a solicitor that had been looking after John, and Charlie was there as well. And at the beginning, the barrister said, apparently... You don't want this judge. And at the end, the barrister went 50-50. So where there's life, there's hope, I think. But I thought it'd be worth updating you on what else is going on 
for John. In, from when John went about June uh, in 2008 to now, we have sent John some money. John has received about £2,300 from us, give or take. I mean, these are rounded figures and some of them are slight estimations, but I know that we have had given for John's use or for things relating to John to us, and we have used it for him or sent it to him, £2,860. The DHL thing was the parcel we sent. John had to pay another 200 quid when it got to the Congo because they said all oh, this stuff you can't have it unless you pay for customs and import duty and, and uh, we pay it's about a tenner a time when we send money to John trying to send cash to him so it all racks up so I thought I'd say to John John there may be some people that would really like to know what you're doing with that money so this is what he's done this is brother Jado he's the secretary of Kinshasa the church in, in Kinshasa in Congo he can't afford the transport to come to church he's a secretary and he can't afford the transport so John pays for his transportation to the church every Sunday along with quite a few of the other MBs so John funds the MBs travel to church um, on a Sunday this is brother Salmu he can't really afford to get to church services he has kids and he has a wife and they're kind of pretty much starving he doesn't have any transport, so John helps him out where he can to uh, transport this guy to church. Excuse me if I can't hold it together this morning, but this stuff is really important to me. Not because it's John and John's really close to me, but because it's important to me because I think it's really important to God as well. This is Brother Zambrotta. He is a Sunday school teacher in Kinshasa. He can't afford, he's going to university, but he can't afford anything to travel there. So John pays his travel expenses. John is looking into getting accommodation for him closer to the university. So he's only travelling once a week instead of five times a week, which should cut costs there. John gave him $50 to help with his kind of university fees and, and all the rest of it. But basically, he can't afford anything either. This is Sister Alphonsine. He pays her school fees, which are $10 a month. John is trying to keep receipts of everything he's spending. And her situation is worse because her parents are no longer together because her dad became a Christadelphian. So her mum left and now the family unit's broken up and she can't afford her school fees. This is Mrs. Kasongo. She can't afford the medication that she's on. She has to have her medication. She just had a recently fairly major operation, it seems, I don't have the full details, but she needs these tablets to continue to stay alive, basically. So, John to the rescue. This is Planidi. He's, he's a little boy. He lives at the church in Kinshasa. His parents can't afford anything, and John bought him a school bag and all the accessories for school. I'm not sure who the baby is, but this baby is called Winner. In the Congo especially in Kinshasa where things are quite tough. Young mums, when they can't afford to look after their babies, put them out on the street. They just chuck them out into the street and they abandon them. The church has six of these babies, six of these babies that they've rescued from starvation death. And John buys baby milk for them. And it can be between 10 and $20 I think he spends $40 a month, approximately, on baby milk to keep these 
six little babies going. Don't think that that's the only babies that are thrown out on the street. This is just the ones that have been rescued by the church in Kinshasa. There's another baby from, I think, one of the sisters at church. And John's just saying, you know, when they have these babies, they, they can probably keep them going for about three months on the baby milk that they can buy for about $10. So with six of them, well, it probably, I don't know if that works out in my head, but he spends about $40 a month. John doesn't just care for the people in the church. He goes out into the streets. And this is some disabled guy who's living on the streets. He does have, obviously, some kind of apparatus to move around in. But John gave him a dollar, because that's what John had in his pocket. And the guy was elated. He was absolutely ecstatic. And John says to me in the email he wrote to me, he says, we preach by what we do. And even just a dollar is, is greatly appreciated by the disabled people. This lad here, I think John's just giving us some context. This guy's selling biscuits to look after his family. So, you know, if John can try and help support any of these people in any way, you know, $15, what's that? Eight, nine quid, ten quid. It could change somebody's life. John says that when I'm in town, at least they have water to drink. It's hot in the Congo, and clean water is expensive. This guy... He's homeless, he's got no left arm, he's lying on the floor on a piece of cardboard box, he spends days and nights without food. John says most of these guys die just because of their poverty, they can't get food, they can't get anything to, to eat or drink. And said $1, 75p made the guy smile again, it may have saved his life. Up until midnight on the streets, these guys are waiting for some kind of handout from somebody a couple of dollars, ten dollars, saves this, this woman's whole family for a couple more weeks. And then there's the kids at church. John says it's too hot in the Congo and they get thirsty. So he has to buy water for the kids in the church and they feed them too. They, don't, they can't manage to feed them every Sunday necessarily, but if the church wasn't there, then the kids wouldn't eat at all. Um, John says, they, the kids don't have this food every Sunday, so we have to look in our pockets. So, look at those faces. That's what John's doing with the £2,400 that we've sent to him so far. Just to put that in context, in the last 12 months, I spent £2,400 on a Yellow Pages advert and a new engine for my car. So, I think I know who's got the greater reward. I've split things up so that we can... I talked this through with John the other day. These are John's running expenses that he tries to pick up for the church in Kinshasa. So food and drink, water, both for church and for street people. The travel expenses, school fees, university, medication. So we're looking at about £400. This is last Friday's exchange rates, but about £400 a month. Now currently, we send John... £175 a month. So we're looking at approximately £230 that John can't cover when, when he's trying to. Now, over the last year, because of the generosity of the people of church here, we have been able to support John in as much of the activity he's been trying to do, as much as he can, but the funds are basically run out. And we have... Kate and I have set aside a bank account that we don't use and put all the money for John in there and 
try and send him whatever's in there whenever we can. And at times, don't take this as bragging because it's not, but at times that has been our family tax credits or working tax credits. Because for me, I think it's really important that I support what John is doing in the Congo. And I wanted to, I wanted to share with you what he was doing because I, I didn't really think we're sending out all this money and he's going out and buying posh clothes and fancy shoes and uh, living the life of Riley because he's not. Because John pays for those things and he pays for internet access in, in um, an internet cafe and occasionally tops up his mobile phone. And when he's gone through those activities, this is what's left for John at the end of the month, money-wise. That's a big fat zero. John, in his email to me, threw a quote at me. He threw a passage of the Bible at me, and it was this, James 1, verse 27. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. John said, Most of the things I do, I learn them from you, for sure the church in Old Trafford. We preach by what we do. Things are so hard in Kinshasa the way you can't believe unless you live here. I visit helpless families and on the street I share mostly with disabled people, orphans, widows and the homeless people. We love and we show mercy. I think we need to start thinking about John in a different light until we know for sure that John is coming back to the UK, we need to think of John as our missionary worker in Kinshasa, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We're not sending John money to keep him going like we were funding him here at university, studying here. I think we now need to be making a pledge to support this church in Kinshasa because look at what they're doing. I challenge any of us here, myself included, to claim that we're doing as much as they are. I've set up a website for them, and the link's there on the bottom. I can give you details later. And John and the guys in Kinshasa will send, keep sending pictures. They'll keep sending me text and what they're doing to keep everyone updated of what is going on in the church in Kinshasa. And what we're going to try and do is make a special collection, probably once a quarter, on, on top of what we normally send to John, a special collection once a quarter to try and top up the activities, but also, and I'm pretty sure I've got MB approval on this, if anyone wants to give regularly directly into the bank account that we've set aside for John, I mean, imagine if everybody in the church just said, yeah, I'll set up a standing order for £2 a month. That would, that would cover it and some more. So just have a think about it and um, speak to one of the members of the MB or myself if you want to start contributing a little bit more or start contributing to what John is doing in the Congo. Let's pray together. Father God, you are amazing and we can't fathom the depths of the love that you show to us, the incredible blessings that you pour out on us. And yet, Lord, I kind of feel that looking at what John's doing in the Congo today, that... He is more blessed because really, Lord, he has nothing but you and we have so many things to take our focus off you. Lord, I pray that you will come into us and move in us and touch our hearts to become your people. 
Lord, I know that John has such a heart for you and such a heart for other people. And I pray that we can continue to fund all the things that John and the rest of the church in Kinshasa are trying to do. And Lord, closer to home, there are other people that need our prayers and your care. And we pray especially now for Jude and Neil and the family. Father, there are many more people that we haven't mentioned. You know them all, and I pray that we will not forget them, that just because we don't see them regularly, we'll still keep them in our minds, we'll still lift them up to you, and where we can, do what we can for them, because of our love for you. Lord, help us to become people that do care about orphans and widows, homeless, outcasts. Lord, make us into people that show our love for you by what we do. And Lord, I pray that you will be with us and bless us richly in your service. Amen. Thank you for that, Alex. It's, um, it's good to see what John is doing um, over in Kinshasa. And also good to remember all those who aren't actually here today. Before Charles kind of comes to talk to us, I'd like us to sing an anthem. And it really just takes the theme of where we're going this morning, is that God actually is leading us throughout our lives. Yes, God actually meets with us where we are, but yet he then continues to lead us. And after we have sung this, then Debbie's going to come forward and do a reading for us. So, lead me, Lord, lead me in thy righteousness. Make thy way plain before my face. Before Charles comes to talk to us, he's asked that we take the reading, it's from the daily readings, but probably starting from yesterday's. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, to Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And David's going to read that to us. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that he was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany, At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell him, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered, As Jesus had told them to do, and the people let him go, let them go. 
When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not, in, not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the elders of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whether you ask whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, and you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Thank you, Debbie, and thank you, Jack, for your early readings. Charles. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to see you this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, when I listen to the, the experts talk about the current financial crisis and they they talk about different ways in which we can get out of, of the mess that we're in. I find it all a little bit confusing. It's a bit like um, if you asked five economists how we can get out of this financial crisis, you'd probably get six completely different answers, and you're left kind of standing, thinking, uh, what's going on here? If you, if, you're like, if you are like me in, in that regard, you're in good company because the uh, former U.S. president said the same thing. Harry S. Truman, a former U.S. president, he's actually... Uh, couple of interesting things. He, Harry S. Truman didn't actually have a middle name. His parents just thought it sounded better to have an S. <laughs> so how American is that? <laughs> but he was, he was the, the, uh, the president after the Second World War and the, all the financial difficulties which were, which were around then. And he was, he was money one day. He said, all my economists, all they say is, on the one hand this, on the other hand that, on this hand this, he said, said to his aide, can you just find me a one-handed economist, please? <laughs> 
And it's, I think the fact is that many things in life aren't one-dimensional enough to just have a very simple answer to them. Most things are at least three-dimensional, maybe four, five, six-dimensional. And the reason for this preamble <laughs> is because I'm going to say, talk about something this morning which, on the face of it, contradicts something which we often preach on the platform. Uh, and that's not my intention. It's just looking at it from a, a different angle. Because we often preach that God accepts us as we are. Just as we are, God, God accepts us. And that's true in lots of senses, but in lots of senses it, it's not true at all. <laughs> and it's the second of those which I'm going to be looking at this morning. And Simon's been led us really nice into to think about how actually God doesn't accept us as we are. He actually leads us. But uh, lest we, you think I've abandoned uh, the, the principles of the gospel of grace, we're going to start on much safer ground. And, and if, you're, if you're up for it, I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. If you don't want to, just close your mind's eyes. They'll, that'll be fine. And imagine that you are blind. Not only blind, but you're poor as well. So poor that your stomach doesn't know what it feels like to be full. And you're sitting on a dirt track a road out of a city, and it's the same place that you sit every single day, begging. And on that dirt track, a crowd of people is passing by. There's bustle, dozens of voices, all of them ignoring you, sitting there, dust being kicked up into your face. And then as you hear the crowd of people going by and they're talking, you hear the name Jesus being said in an excited way. You think you've misheard it, but they say it again. But Jesus is a common name, and it probably isn't him. But then you hear someone referring to him as Master, and then you know it is him. And you shout out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And now you've been noticed. The crowd turn round and tell you to shut up and be quiet. But one still small voice hushes them all. And says, call him over. You get up and head to the voice that called you. If you've been able to imagine that scenario, then you've got a glimpse of what it's like to be Bartimaeus, which is where we're going to start this morning. If you'd just like to turn to Mark chapter 10, which Debbie read earlier. Just read the, the, the account again. Verse 46, it says, Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. There's something really beautiful about this encounter. There's also something really tragic. And we're going to say the tragic for a little bit later. The beauty of it is actually summed up in Bartimaeus' name. His name is very intriguing. It means, drum roll, 
Son of Timaeus. <laughs> um, but it's the Timaeus bit that's actually very, very intriguing, actually. Timaeus comes from a, a very ancient word, which means unclean. Um, and that's the way the people who were on the, in that past that crowd saw him, didn't they? When he shouted out, they, they dismissed him. Shut up, be quiet. He was unclean, blind beggar. Um, you can imagine how the introductions to that family went. Hi, this, I'm, my name's Unclean, and this is my son, Unclean Junior. <laughs> Um, but actually, the name changed as it, as it as that word, uh, that ancient word, actually changed as, as time went by. And the name, which starts off as meaning unclean, actually changed to mean highly prized. And what a beautiful encapsulation of the gospel we have in just that very simple name. We all are, start off unclean, but we are highly prized to God, and He 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 comes and He He calls us towards Him. And that's how Jesus saw him. The people saw him as unclean, but Jesus saw him as highly prized. That's the gospel of grace. That's, that's in a nutshell how God and Jesus do accept us as we are. And in whatever situation we are in, Jesus accepts him without question and asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I've been thinking a lot recently about how I tend to put my own objectives um, before other people's. And it was kind of brought home to me the other day when I, I nipped out for a sandwich and I met someone who a lot of people here know, but I'm not going to reveal the name. And um, it was just one of those chance encounters. And we, we just had a, a very brief chat, very polite, um, how families, etc., etc. But all the time, in my mind, I was thinking, I really want to get back to work because I've just got an hour and I want the stuff I want to do back at work before, um, before I start again in the afternoon. And so all the time, the conversation, from my point of view, was dominated by my own objectives, by, by what I wanted to achieve, rather than actually engaging in a, a proper um, and, and meaningful um, and conversation with this person. And as I, I, I went off, I realised that that happens a lot to me. I, I find myself a lot in those situations, and, and I feel very, very sad about that. Um, Jesus never seemed to do that. He never seemed to, because he didn't have anywhere more important to go than the person he was actually talking to at that time. I don't get the impression he ever had that kind of encounter where his mind was, was elsewhere. He was always focused on the person he was talking to. It never seems to me how he managed to give give and keep giving with such honesty and such and genuine love. I think I, if I'd had the kind of attraction to people that, that Jesus had, I'd probably end up a bit like the actor Steve Martin. And he, at one stage, he got fed up of signing autographs for people, signing autographs for people, signing autographs. So he, he got a card printed, and it said, this certifies that you have met me, Steve Martin, and that you found me warm, polite, intelligent, <laughs> and funny. <laughs> and I think that's, that's kind of that kind of um, is the exact opposite of how Jesus was. And Jesus doesn't, just didn't hand out calling cards. He actually met with people where they were, on the level that they were, and he engaged with them. He never tired of leaving his signature with people. And he accepted the man, a blind beggar, and healed him. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. I like the bit before that where it says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. It reminds me of that opening of, of um, Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author 
and perfecter of our faith. Bartimaeus threw off his cloak and he fixed his eyes, though he couldn't physically see, he fixed his eyes on Jesus because he knew that he was the author and perfecter of his faith. So that's the, the, the beauty of the, the story. Where's, where's the tragedy? Well, the tragedy, I think, is um, you don't get it from Mark's account, but if you look at Matthew, you get an inkling of it. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29. It says, it's the same situation. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Two blind men sat there. And that's interesting. What's happening here? I don't think Mark has been absent-minded and forgetting about the other person because he remembers the situation so well that he knows Bartimaeus' name. So he's not been absent-minded. So what is going on here? Well, another exactly the same situation happens. If you look at Mark chapter 5... Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came up from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind, uh, bind him anymore, not even with a chain. And if you go down to verse 9, it says that then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. So this is the account of the healing of the man, um, Legion, who Mark remembers all the details, remembers his name very specifically. Now go back to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of of the Gadarenes, Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. So this is interesting, isn't it? Two similar situations. In in Mark's account, he remembers one person who was healed so vividly that he remembers the name of the person and all the details. Um, But when Matthew remembers it, he remembers two different people who were there. Now, what are the options for this? Well, it could be that Matthew has double vision, (laughs) but, but I don't think that's quite right. We can only speculate, but my feeling is that there were two people and Jesus healed two people. But of those two people, only one of them actually was prepared to follow Jesus in the long run. So only one of them is remembered by Mark by name as one of the people who went on to follow Jesus. The other one accepted Jesus' healing at the time, but then wasn't actually prepared to follow him. And if we don't want to be, if we want to be accepted only as we are, then Jesus might not accept us in the long run because Jesus is about changing us. And and I think that is brought out here. If Jesus finds us in the gutter, there is nothing that will stop him coming into that gutter to pull us out. There's nothing. He he bears no no, um, significance to any situation or scrape that we've got ourselves into. But if we want to stay in the gutter, then Jesus won't force us to come out and follow him with him. And that's what I'm trying to get at this morning. I think in a way that the picture is kind of exemplified in, in the um, triumphal entry, which we, which we read about earlier. You can maybe fix the, the Matthew account in chapter 21 of Matthew. 
because it's so powerful when you, when you read the, the situation. Matthew 21 and verse 8. It says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So much passion, so much fervor, so much excitement, so much commitment. Well, how many of that crowd were there following Jesus to the cross? How many of that crowd there were actually part of the same crowd which shouted with the same fervour, crucify him? I don't believe when Jesus heard that praise and the triumphal entry, he, was, he had any sceptical thoughts about their intentions. I believe that he would have accepted that praise exactly as it was uh, and exactly with the feeling that it was given. But I'm sure he knew that many of that crowd who were shouting praise at that moment were also going to abandon him in the very next moment. And it's, it's a sad situation, isn't it? But being accepted by Jesus is not being accepted only as we are now. It's accepting that we are following Jesus, that we are, are being led by him. And that picture when Jesus sees that tree and it has no fruit, so he, he, he commands it to wither, is a picture that we don't want to be a picture of our lives, do we? Because we need to, to bear fruit to, to be led by Jesus to go on a journey with him. And you know what? I'm actually very, very pleased that God doesn't accept me just as I am. If he did, it would mean that he'd actually given up on me. It's like when someone says, you know, why is Charles being like that? And someone might say, well, it's just him. It's just, it's just who he is. It's just his personality. It's just his character. That's a horrible indictment if that's true because we need to be changing. I don't want to be just who I am. I don't want to be accepted only as I am. I don't want that to be so. I want to actually follow Jesus, to get up and follow him and, and to be led by him, as, as Simon's been, been, um, been bringing us towards. Over the centuries, people have struggled with this idea of um, what we do to be accepted by God. Some have taken it to ridiculous lengths. There was a, there was a group called the Brahmins, I'm not sure if they're still around, but they went to the extent where they would look over their shoulders towards the heavens and they'd stay in that position for so long that their body kind of seized up and they couldn't go back again. And they, they, that in doing that, they closed up the tubes of the neck so much that they could only have liquids, to, that food, solid food couldn't get down to their stomach. And they saw that as an act of worship, <laughs> this, kind of, this position of having their, their body frozen, this heavenward gaze, so they, they couldn't eat properly. All in a, in a bizarre effort to be accepted by God. But God's requirements are, are much simpler than that. They're not about feats of endurance or, or about being superhuman. They're about rising up and following Jesus. And I've no intention of making us feel inadequate this morning because we're not inadequate. And actually, that's the whole point. We're highly prized. And Jesus doesn't want us to stay in whatever gutter we've got ourselves into. He wants us to pick us out and to lead us. That is the whole point. Um, I know there's a few people um, who we meet with regularly who, um, who like writing as, as a hobby. And I'm, I'm one of those people who like to write. And the other week, um, having sent some manuscripts off to a literary agent, I got a rejection letter. Don't feel sorry for me. But they're obviously heathens. <laughs> they're the first thing about literature. But 
Jesus doesn't send out rejection letters. Mine went like this. <laughs> I've got it here. I'm going to frame it later. <laughs> Thank you for sending us your submission. We've considered your proposal carefully, but I'm afraid we don't feel able to offer representation in this instance. We're sorry that you're receiving this in a, in a standard form letter, but the volume of submissions we receive makes it very difficult to reply individually. I sent them my, my, my life's work, and uh, I get a form letter. Well, well, Jesus doesn't send these out. Jesus says, thank you very much for your submission. He writes that he would give his life for this particular submission, and together with us, he's going to turn it into a masterpiece. Let's have those last words of Jesus' encounter with Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks us. We reply, Rabbi, we want to see. Go, says Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately we all receive our sight and we follow Jesus along the road. Thank you, Charles. And so we follow the Lord Jesus now. We come to partake of the bread and the wine, following his example and what he asked us to do. Before we do that, I'd like to sing and praise the Lord. 277. It's a quiet thought, really, that basically in God's presence, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, is where we actually want to be. We want to be led along the way. To be in your presence, to sit at your feet, where your love surrounds me and makes me complete. This is my desire, O Lord. This is my desire. And so we come to rest in his presence. We come to sit at his feet. To share a meal with him. This is our desire, isn't it? To remember the Lord Jesus through this bread and through this wine. And while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you the truth, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so as we rest with the Lord Jesus, Andrew will come and give thanks for the bread, please. Father in heaven, it is lovely that we can just come now into your presence. We've been thinking about all the hubbub of noise as Jesus went into Jericho and in all that noise he heard somebody shout out to him. He heard Bartimaeus and stopped and drew Bartimaeus into his presence and sometimes Lord although perhaps 
we're not rushing about physically, we have so much in our minds coming and going, we don't really give you the space and yet you're there and now at this quiet time we, we come to you Father and we think of this bread bless it to us Lord, help us to see in it your grace that was manifest in Jesus Christ, your Son who gave everything for us and so often we've got long lists that we want you to do for us. We very rarely say, what can I do for you? Help us to just be still and let you work in our lives. Help us to be still and as the dust settles, see the way you want to lead us, Lord. You want to change us and we want to be changed, but somehow, Lord, we want to do so much else as well. So forgive us our sins, we pray. Help us to think more of putting our life in your hands. And help us to have the stronger faith, Lord, and courage as you lead us, perhaps into areas that we're timid to go. Strengthen us, Lord, and give us faith. And help us always to hold on to that grace that is symbolised now in this precious bread. We thank you for all these gifts, through Jesus our Saviour. Amen. So Jesus took the bread and said, This is my body. Father God, you've known us from the beginning and you wanted a relationship with us. Sometimes, Lord, as we come to this point in time, we look at our relationship with you and it's, for me it's not what I want it to be. And there's times when, when it's not what I want it to be, I can get downhearted. Father, help me to see it through your eyes. Help us to see it through your eyes. That you see how much we've grown. You see how much nearer we are to being Christ-like. You see us for the potential we have. And Lord Jesus, you, you share with us the walk. Always in front of us, pulling us in the right direction. And as Charles said, help us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles so we can run the race. As we share wine together, help us think positively about the relationship we share with you, Father, and with you, our brother. And help us really look about how we've grown, how we're nearer to you than we were when we first knew you. And therefore help us remember how much you are working in our lives, how much you are moulding us, how much you are making us Christ-like. We are your work, not ours. Thank you for this cup and thank you for the remembrance that it brings. In your name, Jesus. Amen. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears we may have be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are.
The reason the world does not know us is that he did, it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has yet to be known. But, when, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And that's our hope, isn't it? God just doesn't accept us for where we are, as Charles was saying. He wants us to move forward with him. He's forgiven us for what we've done in the past. And now he wants us to move forward, to have a relationship with him. And that's why the Lord Jesus died, so that he could have that relationship with him. We're going to finish with praise and then a prayer from Mike Griffiths. So we will conclude with Praise the Lord 207. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it Jesus this my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the picture of you going out of your way to come and find us where we are, not needing us to live up to something before you came to search for us, but that we are already highly valued, but also for the long-lasting commitment that you give to us, that you will always be there, leading us forward, even coming back to, if we revert to going back to the gutter, you come back and find us, and you never leave us. And Father, thank you for sending Jesus to us a certain sign of the depth of your love for us that we have been privileged to remember today. So Lord, we're not sad. We're not sad that uh, because we are highly valued by you and we know you're so close to us. So Lord, please stay with us as we as we go our separate ways now, or even as we stay together. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.